This is Digital Story Podcast number 933, February 6, 2024. Today's theme is Documenting What Makes You, You. I'm Derek Story. We have many more dimensions than most folks realize. Yes, in this community, we know each other for our photography, but each of us has far more going on than taking pictures. And we can use that skill to document and share with, if we wish, the other areas of our life. Combining our love for photography with the things we enjoy. I will discuss one such example regarding myself on this week's TVS Photography Podcast. All of that and lots more. I hope you enjoy the show. It was really interesting as I was working on a project this weekend, uh, which I'm going to explain to you in just a minute. I was thinking that taking pictures while I was working on the project, you know, taking pictures of each step and the different elements and all that, that really enhanced the project itself for me. It just even made it more fun. And then looking at the pictures afterward, you know, you kind of get that, ooh, that's that's nice. That's, you know, that was fun. Ooh, I did a good job on that. <laughs> All that kind of stuff. And it was just interesting to me as I was thinking about how photography, you know, it's like a really good seasoning that just enhances the flavor of whatever we're doing, at least for us, right? For you and me. And along those lines, then I start thinking, I wonder what things other people do that are in our community that I have no idea they do this, right? I have no idea that, you know, someone like builds shelves, you know, for a hobby or, you know, does some sort of woodworking or works on really cool cars and restores them or, you know, whatever it happens to be. And then I was wondering, and if they did that, are they documenting what they do? Are they taking pictures along the way of whatever their project is? Because then not only do you have the project, but then you also have not proof of the project, but you know what I mean, something that you get to keep. Because a lot of times when we do something, when we build shelves, let's say for someone, those shelves go away, right? Because you know we just can't fill our house with endless shelves <laughs> at some point they have to go to other people but if we document them then you know they live forever also on our computer and uh, we get to go back and point those out and show other people and do all that good stuff so it was really fun to think about that and the timing was good because it happened at a time i was working on a project that you probably don't know about me so i'm going to tell you about the project and then at the end, I'll tell you about the part of me that you probably don't know about, although you will probably figure it out by the time uh, I get to the end of the story. So let's do a real example of documenting what makes you, you. I have lemon trees. Yes, multiple lemon trees. At the studio, I have a miniature in a wine barrel on the back patio that is wildly prolific and produces the most delicious Myers. At the house, we have two more small trees and both of them seem happy as well. So this time of year, I find myself up to my hip boots in fruit. I have already perfected the art of homemade lemonade using xylitol as the sweetener. It's delicious. 
Teresa incorporates our bounty into a variety of entrees that enhance their appeal. And yet, there are still more lemons. So I searched the internet for interesting things to do with our harvest. And I stumbled upon a recipe for making limoncello. It's an Italian liqueur traditionally served chilled as an after-dinner digestive. That sounds good, I thought. So I endeavored to make a California version with my Myers. The basic recipe involves soaking the lemon peels in grain alcohol for a few weeks, then straining, and finally adding simple syrup to sweeten. Limoncello is kept in the freezer and served in a petite after-dinner liqueur glass. Now, even though the basic recipe is simple, the proportions are important. And being the type of guy who strives to produce the best limoncello west of the Atlantic, I document everything I do as I evolve the recipe. This is where the documentation comes into play. For example, the first batch used 600 milliliters of Everclear 120 proof grain alcohol. The peels from 12 medium to medium small Meyer lemons, and then finished off with 275 milliliters of homemade simple syrup. But without photographs to accompany my documentation, how do I know in the future what a medium small lemon looks like? How much peel from each lemon? How do I filter the concoction after infusion? And on and on and on. So with each step, I photograph what's happening and label those images as part of batch one. And this aspect is as enjoyable as making the limoncello itself. During the weeks required for infusion, I'm on the hunt for cute bottles that would be appropriate for such a delicacy. And since I'm going to be making lemonade with the juice of those lemons, I need to gather all of those parts as well. Now, this past Sunday, on a stormy day in Northern California, I finished the first batch, carefully placed the bottles in the freezer, and we sampled the finished product after dinner. It was amazing. The second batch is already underway. For reference, I have photos of every step from version one to accompany my precise measurements. I love the pictures almost as much as the drink itself, almost as much. So by now you've probably figured out that I'm a hobby mixologist. I've created my own drinks from scratch and have been able to copy others just by tasting them. And now I can add limoncello and I have the pictures to prove it. So <laughs> I hope you like that. That was kind of fun. So that's my documentation project for this past couple weeks. And, you know, I did everything. I went out to the tree in the back of the studio here when the light was really nice and I photographed the tree full of lemons. And so I could actually see, you know, the lemons that were used for the first batch. Well, actually for the first couple batches as it'll turn out to be. So I photographed the lemons. So that was kind of fun doing, you know, that sort of thing, getting uh, pretty pictures of the lemons on the tree and all of that good stuff. Uh, I photographed all of the tools that I used. It was really interesting. 
I had never used a nut milk bag. I believe that's what it's called before, but you need to filter the concoction. You know, what happens is you do, you make all the peels, you peel all the lemons and you have to be very careful to only get the yellow part of the lemon, not the white pithy stuff, because that part is bitter. Whereas the peel itself, the yellow part is sweet. You peel them carefully and then you have all of these, they look like, you know, naked lemons, right? Because, you know, they're all white and you only see the, the white stuff. All those peels go in a bottle and you pour in the grain alcohol. All the proportions that I talked about have to be good, right? You have to get enough lemon peel in there and then you have to wait for the infusion to happen. And then what happens is the clear grain alcohol slowly becomes this very pretty yellow and it has a very lemony scent. And, you know, when it looks the right color, uh, you document all that and then you filter it. And that's where the nut milk bag comes in and, you, and the bag has a drawstring. You just put it over a, a pitcher and you draw the drawstring, pour everything in there. And the liquid goes through and then you can squeeze the bag because you can squeeze all that good stuff uh, that's in the peels out and make sure you get every drop of goodness. So I'd never used that before. I didn't even know what one was. So I had to, had to find one of those things. Uh, and then there's another, I got it like a double strainer, not just one strainer, but it's, it's two layers of strainer. So that was kind of interesting. And so I just had fun, you know, with all of this stuff because it was kind of new to me. I'd never, on the mixology side, I had typically used ingredients that were already made. This is the first time that I put together my own concoction. So I have all these cool pictures of all of this. And not only are they referenced, but they're, they're really fun. And they're in my uh, photos library. And so when I'm scrolling through things, I can, you know, see the finished product in the cute little bottles that I managed to scavenge and they have corks and everything all the way back to the very lemons themselves. And I was just trying to parse out, you know, this project in the sense of how much of just the project itself was enjoyable and then how much seasoning, so to speak, did the photography add to it. And I think the photography added a lot of seasoning. So I just wanted to tell you that story because I think it's kind of neat. I mean, for those of us in North America right now, it's that time of year. I mean, there was no way I could go outside on Sunday. The wind was gusting up to 50 miles an hour. We had rain It all, you know, at some point our power actually went out. All that stuff happened. No way was I going to be outside doing an activity, but I still got to do my photography and I still got to have a fun project and it all worked out great. It's kind of fun. So I wanted to share that story with you just to remind you, I bet you're doing some cool stuff and I'm hoping that you're taking some great pictures to go along with it. Capture One lays off staff amid significant internal restructure. Now you can read this entire article on petapixel.com. I think they're the ones that broke the story. And so other stories, there might be other stories on the internet, but I have a feeling in a few that I checked, they were all pointing back to Petapixel who did the original reporting on this and the reporting is quite good. So I have the link to the original article in the show notes and you can read all of it. I'm just going to give you part of it right now and then talk a bit about this because Capture One is, well, 
that's where I moved um, after Aperture went toes up. Hmm, kiss of death, right? <laughs> no, no, it's too early, too early for that, too early for that with Capture One. Let's read the article and then I will comment. Capture One is undergoing what it characterizes as significant changes internally, which has resulted in an unspecified number of layoffs at the company. It is at least the second round of turnover since it announced it was switching to a subscription model. Petapixel first learned of the layoffs last week, but the company only confirmed them this morning. Quote, Last Monday, we made an internal announcement about significant changes for the Capture One team. These are not actions we take lightly, and the people that were affected by them were treated with respect and empathy. End quote, Capture One tells Petapixel. Quote, although we had nothing specific to announce today, as the photography industry continues to evolve and we at Capture One make progress with our strategy as a standalone company, we're implementing changes that align with our investments with the areas where we're seeing increases in customer satisfaction and traction with our users. These changes are difficult, but we're confident they position us better to advance in our mission to provide professional photographers with the most powerful creative and collaborative tools, end quote. The company did not provide details on how many were effective, but Petapixel has learned that a significant portion of the communications team has been let go. Of note, this is the second time in the last year this particular team has been gutted. Not long after the announcement that the company would be moving to a subscription-only model, most of the public-facing communications team was let go. Around this time, Capture One also ended its contracts with external public relations support. It is not clear at this time what kind of internal restructuring the company is going through or its scale beyond Capture One's own use of the word significant. But the last year has been difficult for the company as it has grappled with widespread pushback in response to its announcement that it would move away from perpetual software licenses. It didn't help that the company made the announcement not long after it concluded a 50% off sale on perpetual licenses, leaving buyers feeling as though they had been bait and switched. The move to subscription model came with the promise that current customers would be rewarded for their loyalty, but details of that program later revealed it to be just a one-time discount, further raising the hackles of its customers. And there's more in the article that you can read on Petapixel. But I think you get the idea of what's going on. Basically, it feels to me that Capture One is having some difficulty aligning itself with the marketplace. Now, it has a good product, uh, the software, of course, and they have other products too. Phase One, you know, makes hardware, the cameras, and all that sort of stuff. A lot of us were disappointed and voiced our disappointment about how they were handling the move to subscription model and about how perpetual licenses would be handled moving forward. My position was at the time that they were basically abandoning perpetual licenses by stripping them of their usefulness, so to speak, and really kind of forcing the hand to subscription. I got pushed back from Capture One on that position, and they said, no, that isn't the case. Perpetual license will remain important to them, and they will continue providing them. So we sort of had this 
agreement to disagree uh, sort of thing going on. When I got the Nikon ZF, my almost current version of Capture One couldn't read the RAW files. And there was a point, there was a dot upgrade that if I downloaded the dot upgrade, then I could read the RAW files from the Nikon ZF. What I learned when I did that was that was a full perpetual license for that version of the software. That whole thing was a bit of a sting and I know um, it annoyed some other people too. Then that just kind of put me in the position. I actually thought about it for a couple days. I go, well, am I going to keep using the software? You know, I can keep my libraries and all that kind of stuff. I can still use all my other cameras with it other than the Nikon. And I, you know, I kind of went round and round. And then finally I just said, you know, I'm just going to upgrade. And about the time I came around to an upgrade, they had a sale. And I forget if it was a Black Friday sale or what it was, but they had a sale where I could get a perpetual license for half off. And I go, okay, I'm going to jump on this because instead of $299, which was like the normal price, it would be something like $149, which still stung a lot, I have to tell you, <laughs> especially at that time of year. Just to use my Nikon ZF with Capture One, I went ahead, just did it. I have the software. It does a great job with the ZF files as Capture One does. You know, it is good software, but it kind of left me feeling I'm not really loyal to this anymore. I'm just going to take it on a case by case situation here. That's not a place you want your customers to be. You want your customers to be very loyal to your product. You want them to say, I'm, I'm with you. I know that sometimes you do things I, I don't like, but I'm still going to stick with you because overall you are doing what I like. You want them to be in that place, not in the place that well, every little bump in the road, I'm going to question this relationship. It's, 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 it's like having a boyfriend or a girlfriend who every time you do anything, right, they say, well, I'm thinking about breaking up with you. And, I, and you're going, what, what, what did I do? You know, they go, uh, well, you left the bathroom window open. Well, okay, I, I'll close it next time, I promise. It, it sort of feels like that. And I sort of feel like that with them right now. So I can understand their situation here because if they've shaken their loyal customer base, that is not a good thing because that means that there are going to people that are going to go the other way. I renewed this time. Next time I might not. Other people probably didn't renew last time and they went somewhere else, back to Lightroom or whatever it happens to be. So I really think that what Capture One has to do, in my humble opinion, and no one's asking me, but what I think they have to do is win back their loyal customers, first of all. A lot of people, I'm going to use Adobe and Lightroom as an example for a minute. A lot of people were really upset when Adobe really started forcing the subscription model on folks. But one thing they said was that we're going to keep the price reasonable. We're going to keep it at $9.99 as long as we can. And we're going to have, you know, the standalone version, not, you know, not just the cloud version of Lightroom. And they pretty much have kept their word. I signed up for the Adobe subscription at 
long time ago and it's still 9.99 or 9.95 whatever it happens to be it hasn't gone up they sort of kept their word so even though i didn't like the move i stuck with them because they haven't done anything to you know make me not trust them so to speak whereas capture one i feel like has played a little bit more with me and i'm not as thrilled about that and the bottom line is lightroom right now is a far better value in terms of dollars and cents than Capture One Pro, especially over a long period of time. So I think Capture One, first of all, has to get their existing customers feeling good about them again. And then I think they need to go out back into the world once they've shored up their existing customer base and say, look, this is how we're going to operate and we're going to stick to it and we're not going to mess around and we're not going to nickel and dime you. I think if they do that, they're going to be fine. I think if they continue to create this uneasiness that I feel and a lot of other people feel about them, I think they're going to continue to have problems. I don't want them to have problems. I don't. I don't want to convert those libraries again. I don't want to go through all that sort of stuff. I use Lightroom, but I use the cloud version of Lightroom. I like it a lot. I use Photos. I like it a lot, but I use Capture One for my professional work and I don't want to have to make another change there. So here we are right now. We'll keep an eye on the story and I will keep you posted. There's no such thing as a real picture. Samsung defends AI photo editing on the Galaxy S24. And you can read this entire article on techradar.com. I have a link in the show notes. And I believe that Tech Radar is the original source for this story too, which has also kind of proliferated around the internet a bit. Let me read you a little bit about what they have to say. Like most technology conferences in recent months, Samsung's latest Galaxy Unpacked event was dominated by conversations surrounding AI. From two-way call translation to gesture-based search, the Samsung Galaxy S24 launched with several AI-powered tricks up its sleeve. But one particular feature is already raising eyebrows. Set to debut on the Galaxy S24 and its siblings, Generative Edit will allow users to artificially erase, recompose, and remaster parts of an image in a bid to achieve photographic perfection. This isn't a new concept and any edits made using this generative AI tech will result in a watermark and metadata changes. But the seamlessness with which the Galaxy S24 enables such edits has understandably left some unpacked goers concerned. Samsung, however, is confident that its new generative edit feature is ethical, desirable, and even necessary in today's misinformation-filled world. In a revealing interview with Tech Radar, Samsung's head of customer experience, Patrick Crome, defended the company's position on AI and its implications. Quote, there was a very nice video by Marcus Brownlee last year on the moon picture. Everyone was like, is it fake? Is it not fake? There was such a debate around what constitutes a real picture. And actually, there is no such thing as a real picture. As soon as you have sensors to capture something, you reproduce what you're seeing, and it doesn't mean anything. There's no real picture. 
You can try to define a real picture by saying, I took that picture. But if you used AI to optimize the zoom, the autofocus, the scene, is it real? Or is it all the filters? There is no real picture, full stop. But still, questions around authenticity are very important, Chrome continued. And we, Samsung, go about this by recognizing two consumer needs, two different customer intentions. Neither of them are new, but generative AI will accelerate one of them. One intention is wanting to capture the moment, waiting to take a picture that's as accurate and complete as possible. To do that, we use a lot of AI filtering, modification, and optimization to erase shadows, reflections, and so on. But we are true to the user's intention, which was to capture the moment. Then there is another intention, which is wanting to make something. When people go on Instagram, they add a bunch of funky black and white stuff. They create a new reality. Their intention isn't to recreate reality, it's to make something new. Generative AI tools will accelerate that intention exponentially in the next few years. So there is a big customer need to distinguish between the real and the new. That's why our generative edit feature adds a watermark and edits the metadata. And we're working with regulatory bodies to ensure people understand the difference, end quote. So there's a lot to unpack here, obviously. Uh, I think it's interesting, this idea, which, you know, is, was translated into the headline and rightly so. There's no such thing as a real picture. I mean, I sort of get what he's saying, but I think he's not saying it correctly. <laughs> there is such a thing as a real picture. And um, our definition in photography originally of a real picture was something that was captured with a camera onto some sort of media. Uh, originally, it would be a piece of film, right? And the silver crystals were stimulated and we processed that and made a print. And if we made a straight print, right, without fooling around, dodging, burning, all that sort of stuff, then we had a representation of whatever that subject was. Now, of course, there's still a lot of subjective stuff there. And what I mean by that, the photographer, for example, can choose to just photograph one area of a scene and not the entire scene. And maybe the stuff that's outside the frame would influence our interpretation of what we see inside the frame. There's all that kind of debate. But I think it's fairly safe to say that that scenario is a real picture. And then from that moment, uh, things have changed a lot. Uh, we had artists like W. Gene Smith and Ansel Adams who were very good in the dark room. And so they were able to alter that real picture, not so much change the subject, but change the tonality of it, uh, you know, really enhance how the image looked. So I still think that's a real picture. Uh, by our original definition, but it's an enhanced real picture. And then we get into AI not helping us focus and do all that. I, I don't think that changes if it's a real picture or not. But when we start to change the elements in the shot, not change the tonality or the color so much, but actually change the subject material of the shot, 
I think that's where we wander away from a real picture and start getting into a creative art. It's okay to do that. We love that. But, you know, that's where the lines start to get blurred and you have to be careful about your labeling uh, of what you're seeing. Because if you start taking the head off one person and putting it on the body of another person, then that can lead to some serious misinformation, among other things. So I don't agree about the real picture thing, and I think it's being used to defend, you know, what they're doing with their AI technology. At the end of the day, AI is going to happen. We all know that. At the end of the day, these technologies are going to proliferate, and we're going to see all sorts of stuff. I just think that we need to be very clear about what's going on, what we're doing, and not try to code it in ways that downplay what's actually happening. I'm not saying that Samsung is doing that here, but I do feel some defensiveness here, and I do feel them sort of creeping a little close to a line that I'm not comfortable with. We'll see how this pans out. thought it was an interesting story. Uh, definitely a lot to talk about with your friends over maybe a glass of limoncello. I don't know. <laughs> the rest of the story is on Tech Radar. I thought they did a good job of reporting this. All right, stick here with a little virtual camera club news here. Let's start out this week with the Nimble Photographer newsletter published every Thursday. It is free, free, free. All you have to do is sign up for it. You can sign up for it on any of our sites at the Digital Story, at the Nimble Photographer, or if you just go to Substack, you can sign up for it there. The Nimble Photographer newsletter every Thursday, free in your email inbox. Big thanks to our Inner Circle members. Uh, these are the folks that support this podcast month in and month out. And also some of the coolest folks in the world when it comes to chatting about photography. And I'm thinking right now as I do this AI Samsung story that we've got another poll coming up in our Inner Circle space where we are going to poll our members and see what they think. The polls are fun. We've been doing a lot of them lately. They're great for conversation, but then the comments that follow the poll are even more fun. And I just feel like that this story that I just read today is going to make a terrific poll on our Inner Circle site. If you're interested in becoming an Inner Circle member, uh, being able to join the conversation, getting discounts on all of our workshops online and in person, all you have to do is click on the Patreon tile that's on every page of the digital story. Nose around there, see what you think, and sign up and join us in 2024. It's a lot of fun and a big thanks to our Inner Circle members. And then finally, a big shout out to our friends at Red River Paper, longest running sponsor of the digital story, the folks that make inkjet printing fun. Ha, you didn't think those two words would go together in the same sentence, but it is fun. It's sort of like that project I was talking about earlier. When you endeavor to do something, to produce something, right? To create something that's tangible, right? That you can share with other people, that you can hand to them and they can hold in their hands. That's fun, right? That's fun when you produce something like that. And that's what inkjet printing does. Uh, I was talking about, you know, making wood shells. I was talking about making a car run great. 
I was talking about a delicious chilled glass of limoncello. All of those things are tangible, enjoyable things, and so is an inkjet print of your work. If you want to go down that road and start creating some art with the beautiful images that you're making, then click on the Red River paper tile that's on every page of the digital story. Nose around a bit, get your hands on some paper, read some tutorials, and start making beautiful artwork with your images. Red River Paper also has a wonderful Facebook page at facebook.com slash Red River Paper. And a huge shout out to them for supporting this podcast. All right, it's going to do it for me this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. Working on more great stuff for next week. Until then, take some pictures, document your life, make something beautiful, and then come back and join me next Tuesday. Until then, have a great week. Bye-bye now.